This evening's scripture reading will be from 2 Kings 22, 1 and 2, which reads, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedida, daughter of Hadiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Good evening. I hope you have your Bibles open to our text this evening in 2 Kings chapter 22. And we're also going to be looking at passages in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. So you might want to have something marked there as well. That's going to be our text for tonight's study. We are certainly grateful that we have the opportunity to be together again this Lord's Day. I know uh, I'm sure our Josiah is going to be excited to hear his name a lot spoken uh, this evening uh, because we are going to be looking at King Josiah from our Old Testament. He followed the longest tenured king of Judah, Manasseh. Manasseh was uh, his grandfather. And after Manasseh died, Ammon became king. And Ammon was a terribly wicked king following in the footsteps of Manasseh in Manasseh's earlier reign, part of, part of his reign. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says in verse 21, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done, and Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. And what you find that to be interesting, I think, about Ammon's short reign is that he must have been terribly wicked because people wanted to oust him as king, and they had him assassinated. In 2 Chronicles 33, it says in verse 23, Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, but Ammon multiplied guilt. Finally, his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. But the people of the land killed all the conspirators against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. So after Ammon's inner circle had him assassinated, then the people of Judah, they decide to take some, uh, some, some uh, action and they decide to kill those conspirators and they make Josiah king at the young age of eight years old. And Josiah would arguably go down as the greatest king in Judah's history. During this tumultuous time of the divided kingdom, the influence for good in his life, I think, could argue, arguably come from actually his wicked grandfather, Manasseh, because as you'll remember last week, we looked at the life of Manasseh and he repented towards the end of his life. It seems that Ammon did not learn from his father, but perhaps it is that in the first six years of Josiah's life, if my math is correct, then Josiah could have been around his grandfather for up to six years, Manasseh, 
And he could have seen the best years of Manasseh's life where he was trying to undo all the things that he had done that were wrong. And so it is that Manasseh could have given us the greatest king, which is somewhat ironic just because of how he lived his life early on. But what made Josiah such a good king? I think there are at least three reasons that I want to consider with you tonight why he was such a good king. Something that made him especially good is that he was a true worshiper of God. and He worshipped God. And he was very unique in his approach to worshiping God because he does some things that had not been done since the time of David and Solomon. That he focused so much on the temple. And by focusing on the temple, you see in the book of Second Chronicles in the 34th chapter, as Josiah begins to reign as king, in Second Chronicles chapter 34, after he begins to uh, begin some reforms, it says in verse 8, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masai, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. That here he begins to focus in a very unique way on the temple. He wants to repair the temple. There have been damages done. There have been all sorts of things done to the temple to uh, promote idolatry, where it has become a a place that was not solely dedicated for the Lord. And so he wants to repair the temple and bring it back to what it was supposed to be. And so you continue on in verse 9. It says, They came to Hilkiah the high priest and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave it into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. They in turn gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. The men did the work faithfully with foremen over them to supervise. And he goes through a list of the guys that were involved in bringing this together. And it says in verse 13, they were also over the burden bearers and supervised all the workmen from job to job. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Now there is this renewed sense and interest in the temple that has just not been there. That the kings of Judah have just let it die and crumble and just become empty. The place that was supposed to symbolize God's presence among the people of Israel. They've treated it with disdain. And Josiah begins to remedy some of that and he begins to worship God and he is is interested in serving God and so he wants to focus on repairing the temple in a very unique way that others that he had followed did not. And if you have ever been that, you're, you're reading the Old Testament especially and you read the book of First and Second Kings, and then you read First and Second Chronicles, and 
you wonder why we have to jump back and forth so many times to figure out where, is this, where does this king rule and where is this story at right here or is it over here? And you begin to focus on all of that and it becomes very uh, hard. Let me try to simplify that a little bit for you tonight. The book of First and Second Kings is really the overall comprehensive history of Israel's divided kingdom. That you're going to get all the kings of Israel, you're going to get all the kings of Judah crammed into those books. The books of First and Second Chronicles is a whole lot easier to follow <laughs> because it's only concentrating on the line of David. So you're only getting in the, into the southern kingdom. You're only focused on the line of David and the, tri, and, and the kings of Judah. So you get to nix all the ones from Israel, which are all completely bad and horrible anyway. So you kind of get to throw those out of the mix in First and Second Chronicles, really. And then what makes First and Second Chronicles very unique is that there is an emphasis on the temple from First Chronicles, which is sometimes kind of a boring read, but you get where David is preparing Solomon to build the temple. And then in Second Chronicles, you have at the, towards the end of Second Chronicles, you have Josiah restoring the temple. That the temple is really the bookends of First and Second Chronicles. It's, the, it's a major motif. It's a major theme in those books. And the departures from temple worship are recorded and how kings led the people away from worshiping in the way that God wanted them to worship. And Josiah, he becomes this figure who restores temple worship to the way it was supposed to be. We may think, what is all this picturing about? What is this for? Why, why is the temple so important? Well, this temple motif, it is certainly carried over into the New Testament. Not a physical temple, but the church is the true temple of God. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, and in verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 20, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of, the, of God in the Spirit. Now as we see the focus on the temple, the earthly physical temple in Jerusalem, we need to see that as a foreshadowing of what God was really going to accomplish through David. That is, David was going to provide an heir who was going to rule. And he's going to be our king and our high priest. And that we have the true temple, the church. And all of this is trying to get us to see and the foreshadowing is trying to help us understand that God is going to dwell in us and among us and that it's not going to be through this earthly physical temple that we have to go to Jerusalem to worship. That God is spirit and we can worship Him anywhere. In 2 Chronicles chapter 35, we see that Josiah not only focuses on the temple, but he also reinstitutes the Passover. You know, as you're reading in the book of Exodus, you're, you're getting all the details of the Passover. 
And it's just amazing to me that Israel just let that go. They let that one slide. Because this is something that would have been something akin to their 4th of July, if you will. That it was something that was their national holiday. That this was going to be the day that they would want to celebrate and remember that they were released from slavery in Egypt. That God delivered them. That they crossed over on dry ground through the parted sea. All of that. That would have been the thing they would have wanted to keep if you can imagine celebrating the 4th of July without fireworks or something like that. Imagine just ignoring it completely. In 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and in verse 1 it says, Then Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover animals on the fourteenth day of the first month. He set the priests in their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. He also said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve the Lord your God and His people. Prepare yourselves by your father's households and your divisions according to the writing of David, king of Israel, and according to the writing of his son Solomon. And what impresses me here is that as he is trying to go about restoring worship, he says, go back to the instructions. (laughs) Go back to the manual. Let's do this by the letter. Let's do what it tells us to do. That's the kind of heart that Josiah had. He wanted to pay attention to the details of worship. You continue on in, chapter, in verse 16. It says, So all the service of the Lord was prepared on that day to celebrate the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the Passover at that time in the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. Then notice what he says in verse 18, There had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet, nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated. Now this was going to be the celebration of celebrations. And Josiah was the one who wanted to be the instrument of pushing it and making it happen. What made Josiah such a good king was his concern about worshiping God in the way that God wanted. He was looking for the correct way. And we must develop that same kind of concern for worshiping God in the way that He has prescribed. Not just what brings us our own pleasure that we must worship Him in the way that He wants to be worshipped. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, in verse 31, it says, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. 
that he wanted to go by what the book said. And if it wasn't found there, he didn't want to do it. If it was something additional to worshiping, he didn't do it. If it needed to be done and they weren't doing it, he added it back in. That's the kind of man that Josiah was. And that's why we need to focus on worshiping God in the prescribed way. If he tells us to sing, we need to sing. We don't need to add an instrument to it. If he tells us that we need to observe the Lord's Supper each and every first day of the week, that's what we do. That's what we practice. We follow the pattern and the blueprint that is provided for us in the Scriptures. That's what made Josiah a good king. What also makes him such a good king is what we have recorded for us, what we read in our reading in 2 Kings chapter 22. And in verse 2 and 3, in this summation of Josiah's reign, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Now in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, and we get that occasion there. But what I find to be so fascinating here is that he's described as walking, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked after the Lord. And he walked with the Lord. You have this language that would describe his commitment to following God's law and following the Torah. In 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 31, the passage that we just read, that he walked after the Lord and he kept his commandments. I think what the writer of Chronicles and, and Kings, they are intentionally using the language of Moses in, from the book of Deuteronomy to describe Josiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, when Moses is providing instruction for the children of Israel that they are to be faithful to God, that they are not to serve idols, he says this. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4, You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. And you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. And he's trying to get us to see that Josiah was following after the Lord, that he was walking with the Lord. He was completely invested in serving and worshiping God and God alone. That he was exclusively trying to follow the Lord and walking after his ways. Turning back to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and in verse 31, he says that he's walking after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. I think obviously that is an allusion to the book of Deuteronomy in the 6th chapter. And the first great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That heart and soul language that's used to describe Josiah's commitment and faithfulness and service to God, it's going back to the language of Moses and the children of Israel. And this is what you are supposed to do. This is who you are supposed to be. You are supposed to be completely alone in your service to God. That you are supposed to give your allegiance to Him and to Him alone. There is no other God that you should ever serve. Now, of course, Josiah was not perfect. I think we see that even in his purposed desire to, to restore and to rebuild and to repair the temple. That as... They are beginning their repairs. They find the book of the law. They find the books of Moses. And they begin reading it and they're like, whoa, we have missed the mark completely. But what Josiah does is remarkable. That as he was beginning to hear the words of the book of the law, he began to tear his clothes and he began to repent. And he said in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book. That has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. He realized how far gone Judah and Israel had, had become. And he humbled himself and he realized that we need to do better and he took it upon himself to take that initiative. It makes me wonder how do we respond when we hear God's Word? And when we have to face and own up to our own mistakes... Are we willing to say, I need to change? That I need to do better? That I've messed up in the past, but I need to improve, and this is what I need to go about doing? Or do we try to make excuses? Do we try to do we get angry at what the Bible says? Or do we get angry at the messenger? Do we get do we try to begin to find out how our situation or our family situation is the exception to the rule? Do we try to excuse ourselves as having merely made a mistake but not committed a sin? Josiah didn't try to soften the language. He didn't try to soften his approach. He did not try to sweep anything under the rug. He said, this is what we have done. We have sinned. We have done wrong. And we, now we need to change it. And Josiah obeyed God's law because he had dedicated his heart and his soul and his very life exclusively to serving God. 
that he did right in the sight of the Lord is what the Scripture says. And walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's devotion. That's intentionally serving God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 35, In 2 Chronicles chapter 35, there's an interesting word that would describe Josiah as his reign came to an end as he was dying. And as the chronicler is reflecting on Josiah's life, he uses a very interesting word here to describe Josiah. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 26, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of devotion as written in the law of the Lord and his acts first to last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. That Josiah, he was completely devoted to obeying God's Word and God's law. You know, there's something interesting there that I think we need to understand about serving God and our walk with God. That if we're going to be devoted to God, if we're going to be walking with God, you cannot walk with God, you cannot be devoted to God if you do not do His Word. If you do not follow His law and keep His commandments. If you want to know the secret to walking with the Lord, it's obeying His commandments. It's a life of obedience. A life of devotion. And Josiah understood that important principle. And he dedicated his heart and his soul, his very life exclusively to the God of heaven. He was exclusive with the Lord. He served no other gods. He served Yahweh alone. And the third thing that makes him such an impressive king is how busy he was in instituting religious reform and restoration. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and in verse 31. Oh, we'll get there in a minute. 2 Chronicles 34 first, and verses 4 through 6. As Josiah has just become king, it says in verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. You see his progression, don't you? It says, They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above them he chopped down 
Also the ashram, the carved images and the molten images, he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem and the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali in their surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Here he is. He's a young king. 16 years old. 20 years old. And what he begins doing is tearing it all down. All the idols that had been propped up and had been worshipped to and bowed to. All the acts of sexual immorality that had been performed in, in honor of those idols. He tore them all down. He destroyed them. It takes a radical person like that to come in and to just say, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to change and we're going to be serving the Lord and Him alone. And you see that He tore down the altars. He got rid of the idols. He removed the high places. That's what religious reform looks like. I'm sure He offended some people that enjoyed bowing down and worshiping the Baals. I'm sure He made some people mad in the process. But what He was going to do would bring the people back to God. Because His predecessors had reformed the religion of Judaism into a hybrid, a mixture of worshiping God and idols together. And He restored it back to what God intended for it to be in the first place. Exclusive worship to the God of heaven and our Creator. And what I appreciate so much about Josiah is not that he was doing this just for himself. You know, how many times do we hear that in our day and age that, well, I've got my relationship with God and you can have your relationship with God, but you can't tell me what I have to do and how I have to worship God or how I have to have this relationship. You don't get to tell me that. That as long as you have a relationship with Him and as long as I have a relationship with Him, we're, we're, we're good. That's, that's what we hear all the time from people today. But what, look at what Josiah did in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 31. It says, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. So he decides, I'm going to dedicate myself to God. But then notice, he goes another step further. In verse 32, Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from 
following the Lord God of their fathers. What Josiah did is radical. He said, it's not just going to be me who serves God. It's going to be you, 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 and you, and you. That we're all going to be in this together. We're all going to serve God. He expected others to follow him and to go with him. There's a huge lesson there for us, isn't there? And it's not just about what our neighbor wants to do and what they think that makes them happy. We need to be courageous. We need to be bold. We need to be people like Josiah that's going to say, no, I want you to serve God the way that the Bible says. I want you to serve God the right way. And here's what the right way is. Follow it to a T. Give your heart and your life to the Lord just as I am trying to do. We need some Josiahs in our families, in our homes. And it's going to tell our families, we're going to worship God this way. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to serve Him. This is how we are going to do what's right and pleasing to God. We're going to follow what the book says. We need our, a Josiah in our friends and our peers. Thankfully, we do have a Josiah here. But we need to have a Josiah who is willing to stand up against the pressures of society and say, no, we are going to serve God and this is the way. This is not just a way, but this is the way. We need to commit ourselves to true discipleship and following God exclusively. We have to remove the idols of greed, success, and pride. This idol of you can, have, you can approach God on your own terms and I'm going to approach Him on my own terms. You have to remove that idol. We have to tear it down. And we need to push the idea of success in life as being defined by true worship, by service and obedience and exclusivity to living for God. And we should expect others that we have within our circle to do the same. That's what makes Josiah unique. It's what I love about Josiah. I don't know how well this chart is going to show up here. But what this chart tries to do is show all the good kings in Judah. And what the areas that they succeeded in. That they were, there's references about how they followed the law and were obedient to God, or how they tried to restore the, the temple and repair the temple, or how they tried to institute religious reforms, removing the high places or removing the idols from the land. 
And what's interesting is that you have these four boxes over here on the middle of the chart. And some of the kings, even the good kings that we would say were good kings that did some good things, they might have done one or two of these things. They didn't do all of them. But Josiah, he checks all of the boxes in a way that no one else did. The next closest one was Hezekiah. Josiah was an outstanding king. who wanted to serve God. And he wanted others to serve God. The good kings were good because of trying to move the people away from idolatry and closer to serving God and His law. All the evil kings were evil because of their perpetual idolatry and covenant unfaithfulness to Yahweh. But Josiah, he tried to undo it all and tried to point the people back to the Lord. Josiah's worship of God and his obedience to the Word of God and to God's law and his leading of God's people to be completely devoted to God by carrying out religious reforms That's what makes Josiah such a good king. We need to be like Josiah. We need to have a heart that's completely devoted and interested and invested in serving God and God alone. We need to be willing to obey Him completely. Not just half-heartedly, not just some of the way, but all of the way. To be completely and entirely devoted to the Lord where we are walking with the Lord, following after His law, not turning and deviating to the right or to the left, but staying on that straight and narrow way. And we need to be people who will lead reform and encourage others to change their lives and to begin living for the Lord. Are you going to follow that kind of example? Josiah shows us the way. He shows us an example that we need to follow. Tonight, we want to encourage you to give your heart and your life completely to the Lord your God. Our God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you and for me and for our sins. That Jesus gave His life so that we could have hope. That we could have life more abundantly. Eternal life in heaven. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we want you to become a child of God. The Lord wants you to come to Him. If we can help you in some way tonight, will you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?